welcome to episode 646 of Long Box Heroes, the Lamborghini of comic book podcast. I'm Todd, along with Joe. How are we doing today, Joe? Did you say 646 at the beginning of the show? I did. All right. Would you like to start off? No, I know we said it when we before we started recording, and then it gets modeled in my mind. Right. I don't want to say that I'm sick, but I definitely feel a little congested today. Ah, listen, John, calm down. I got the 646 in. All right. Oh, boy. All right, good. Um, I don't know if it's making me hear uh, differently or whatever. But uh, what do we got on the show uh, today, Todd? A slender uh, news section. Um, what a friend of the show's next project is. And that's pretty much it. Confe- conventions. What we read last week, which was uh, Fantastic Four, number four, and this only slightly delayed Swamp Thing, Green Hell, number two. Oh, boy. Um, What we're looking forward to this week, um, Todd and Joe have issues, which is this week, Sandman 15 and 16. And finally, uh, the return of spoiler-filled talk of uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. I'm not going to say it the way you'll say it, though. So, Uh Uh-huh. Unbelievable. Running right. through the multiverse, more seductive than anyway. I, I um, may have taken bets on the over under of how many times you would say it that way. So one time, that's it. Right. I, one time a show. Okay. Um, is this the first movie we've done since uh, Black Panther two? I think so. I don't think there was yeah. anything since then. Well, twenty twenty three is picking up. There's a ton of movies. Comic book related, TV show related, all that sort of jazz. Right. So, um, you know, the show's going to be beefing up quite a bit over the next couple of months. Speaking of TV shows, that uh, Oshkosh by Gosh TV show, they announced that that's not March in our notes. That's uh, at the end of the year. Really? Yeah, even though it's on IMDb as March, whatever. Um, what's Rosario Dawson gave an interview that she's like, yeah, we don't have a set date, but it's not at least until fall of 2023. But you do understand where I say when I go to IMDb and it says a very specific date, right? That's why I said, even though when you go to IMDb, it says that I'm going to go with the nameless, faceless uh, IMDb quote or Rosario Dawson this morning on Good Morning America. Mm. You know, I'm going to go with Rosario. I kind of like her more. You know what? We'll cross this bridge when we get to March 13th. How about that? There you go. Sorry, I wanted to bring it up here and slow down the show. <laughs> well, thank you for slowing down the show. Right. So let's get into the news. And again, it is just a slender bit of read of news. Um, the May 2023 solicitations are out. Uh, so the spreadsheet is updated for those of you that were wondering. Um, and there's a ton of new stuff coming out in May. Um, lots of new number ones, a lot of interesting stuff on the horizon, but I would say, uh, mark it down in your calendars now for the pick of the week, unless it like double stacks with like saga and something else. Mm-hmm. Um, but the new peacemaker miniseries, uh, peacemaker tries hard is coming out from DC black label. Now, listen, eh, we all enjoyed the Peacemaker TV show. We had a lot of fun with it. Jimmy Pistol does a good job with those shows. Uh, over the summer, they had a Peacemaker uh, one-shot that came out, which was fine and all, but it didn't have, like, the the panache, the whatever, the feel of the TV show, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say that this uh, show is going to be just like, or this, this uh, 
miniseries is going to be just like the TV show, but I feel as though with the creative team that's involved, uh, it's going to be very, very close because, as Todd mentioned, friend of the show, Kyle Starks, is going to be the writer of this book. Right. That's all I need to know after that. Yeah. Listen, I don't need to know. I don't need to read nothing else. I don't need to know what the plot of the thing is. I know they're telling me that it's an adult book because it's black label. Uh, I understand that it's not an official sequel to the TV show, um, but I'm okay uh, because I'm sure just by name and alone, this book will probably sell a couple copies, right? Right. I'm going to say that this, like, whatever he, like, whatever it's going to be, I'm going to be fine with it. But I think this book is right up Kyle Stark's alley for us. Um, <laughs> a million percent. Right. Because it's just going to be all his, like, over the top action. And I mean this in a good way, like, cliche one liner. Well, I'm hoping. But if it's not, it's still going to be good, whatever direction he goes in. Um, but I'm really, when I saw this come down the pipe, I was like, yeah, I'm I'm really pumped for this. I've loved everything that he's done so far. So, and Stephen Pugh is no uh, slouch uh, when it comes to art. You know, he's no, done he... a ton of stuff. You know, going all the way back to like Hellblazer stuff back in the '90s. Right, and his the the more recent stuff that I remember that was beautiful was didn't he do the Animal Man with uh, Jeff Lemire? He did Animal Man with Jeff Lemire. Uh, he did the Flintstone series and uh, the super. He works a lot with Mark Russell, right? Um, both at DC and other places. So it's you know big name artist on the book, you know. So I think it's super cool to see you know someone we know and someone that we've had on the show uh, get like a high profile uh, book at one of the major two companies. Right. The only real problem I have with this whole thing, Joe. Is it's only going to be a mini series? That's my only problem with it. Well, listen, it's not uh, out of the ordinary in the last couple years for DC to take a mini series and extend it out to like a second mini series. Oh, that could happen. Yes, but right. I don't think Black Label has had any ongoings. No, no. I think they're they kind of focus more on like uh, you know single issue stories, mini series, and stuff like that. I was actually just chatting with a mutual friend of ours the other day. Um, in regards to August General and Iron. Oh, yes. I remember them from the Great Ten when they did the Great Ten series and they were going to cover each of the members and then it only went to nine, I think, like that before it got canceled. Right. Because it was a different era at DC where stuff like that would happen, you know? Right, right. Uh, so, you know, positivity going forward. Um, definitely check out this book if you like that peacemaker tv show you know you didn't watch the peacemaker tv show and you just like john cena who doesn't Mm -hmm. um and you want to see him like swearing and killing dudes um you know that's the show for you and i feel as though this will be the book for you as well i do too uh so that's really all we got news uh like i said it's a light week uh but there are two conventions happening this weekend of note uh one is the great lakes comic convention in warren michigan Uh, A little bit of a smaller show, mostly just, you know, comic book professionals. Uh, Daryl Banks, who I would love to talk to about. I don't know if, do you know, Todd, the professional wrestler Ox Baker? No, I don't know. Why would he bake oxes? No, stop it. (laughs) Um, He's a bald-headed man with big black bushy eyebrows and a giant black Fu Manchu mustache. 
Oh, I'm sure there's only one wrestler like that. Now, Seal, that's the thing. You say that, but he's a very recognizable wrestler. He was a big-time wrestler, like, in the 50s and 60s. Uh, he actually was on um, The Price is Right in the 70s. Is he the great heart puncher? He is. Okay. Um. So, the, uh, a, a video surfaced in the last week of Ox Baker, like, doing a public access TV show to promote an upcoming wrestling show that he was wrestling on, and Daryl Banks was there with him as his manager. Like, what year was this? This had to be, like, mid-80s. Okay, that makes sense. Is he, <laughs> is he still alive? Is Ox Baker still alive? I don't know. I'm asking. Mm, that's a good question. I mean, I just had an I just had it up to tell you the truth, but I didn't look. So that's on you. Uh, but I would just yeah, no. Unfortunately, Ox Baker passed in 2014, so he's been he's been dead for almost 10 years. Right. You would like to talk to Daryl Banks about Ox Baker, yes. or I would like to talk about the death threats they got for Kyle Rayner. <laughs> well, listen, you know. How did your time managing Ox Baker prepare you for the death threats that you got? <laughs> you are the consummate interviewer. Right. Well, again, uh, William Messner Loeb's is going to be there. Dan DiDio is going to be there. Uh, Dan DiDio, who apparently will just do any podcast out there. That's uh, right. Any podcast shoved under his nose. Right. Good for him, though. Um, you know, he's really out there beating feet, trying to push the Frank Miller books. Mm -hmm. um i've always been a fan of dan you know uh i think dan's a good guy right, gets a little not, bit of a bad rep but it is what it is you know you're not going to do your insulting impersonation of him no i'm not i'm i listen i i as i could feel something coming on i don't want to push it you know right yeah you gotta save that uh, but also uh this weekend in pens beautiful pensacola florida is pensacon where very few comic book people are going to be there, but tons of people from the world of entertainment and sports and entertainment are going to be there. Right. Uh, Billy West is going to be there. Curtis Armstrong is going to be there. The first man to land on the moon. Uh, what is that a reference? No, you're thinking of <laughs> his dad, Neil. <laughs> okay, right. Uh, and then all sorts of professional wrestlers are going to be there. Uh, Anna Jay, Jungle Boy Jack Perry... Uh, Jamie Hayter, who I think you'd be a fan of, Todd. Okay. Uh, Dan Housen, whoever that is. Uh, the Honky Tonk Man and Kevin Nash. Ooh, Nash, the mm -hmm. Supper Shredder. Yes. But also at this convention, Todd, they apparently have dusted off anyone <laughs> and everyone who cashed a check from the BBC to yep. be a part of Doctor Who. Yes, they have. So I'm going to say a bunch of names. Some of them I know, okay? Uh, and some of them I don't know. Christopher Eccleston. He's a doctor, right? Right. He was the... the oh, oh wait. Let me guess. Uh, uh, ninth Doctor? Yes, he was. All right. Uh, John Barrowman. Not a doctor, but he's um Captain Harkness. Yes, he was Captain Jack Harkness, and he was also uh, uh, Merlin on uh, Arrow. Okay. Colin Baker? Right. He's the scarf doctor, right? No. He was the many-colored jacket uh, doctor. Okay. Um, Sylvester McCoy? Yes. He was the hat doctor? Yes, and he had the, the, the sweater with the question marks on it. Okay. 
Uh, so he was uh, Matthew Letzko. Uh, Paul McGann was a doctor. Yep. Do you know which one? Oh, boy. Five? No, he was eight. He was just before Christopher Eccleston. Okay. Well, he, and he, the war doctor was in between, but I won't get technical. Peter Davidson? Yes. He was six, right? No, he was five. All right. See, I'm close enough. Then we have uh, Daphne Ashbrook. Yes. I don't know. Like these, these are the ones I don't know who they are. You need to tell me who these people are. This was, uh, she was Grace Holloway. She was in the eighth doctor movie with, uh, McGann. Uh, so then we have, uh, Janet Fielding. She was Tegan, uh, Jovanka. She was with the fifth doctor. Okay. Then we have Nicola Bryant. She was Perry, the one that was uh, brought in for the dads, if I ever showed you the picture. Hmm. Uh, how about Sophie Alred? She was Ace, and she had an explosive Nitro 9. These were all people, like a couple of them you saw, they were in the most recent episode as the past companions. Okay. Like yep. Um, now, most importantly, Todd. Right, I knew you were going to save the best for last. I, I, the most important for last, Todd. Um, now, sadly, I'm trying to look on their site to see how much the prices for these things are. Mm -hmm. And there's no prices. But if you're talking about all these people from the 8th Doctor TV movie, right? Right. And they do have the session where you can get all three of them. You can get McGann, you can get Ashbrook. And the one true master, <laughs> Eric Roberts. Right. Is 2023 going to be the year where Eric Roberts finally leans in and does like all the Doctor Who conventions? I'm hoping so. And I hope he does show up for one of the episodes. The new episodes. Would you pop if he showed up on one of the, on the new episodes? Absolutely. Yep. I wonder if they can get him. He's a tough get. Yeah, unfortunately, like I said, they don't have um, prices. They, they don't have the prices for the photo ops. You know, they just have like this separate site that you go to uh, where it has like. Okay, hang on. I need to know how much the Eric Roberts photo op is, you know? Right. So you need to know, so you know how much to save up, right? Right. Because I'm taking the copter down. Oh, I'm look. It's all right. Uh, Eric Roberts, right? I think I'm. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Forty-five bucks. That's that's a good deal at twice the price. I will say this: there's nobody on here who's like crazy. Everyone's like forty to seventy-five. Right. I'm surprised that uh, good old Danny Housen isn't getting some of that con money. You know, that they're supposed to get. No, he is. Oh, no, it's only 50 bucks for a picture with him. Yeah. I heard there was, you know, that some of those guys were getting bigger money, if you know what I mean. I think it, you make money and then you make sting money. That's the oh, difference. Oh, okay. Hmm. Anyway. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Like, you know, everybody's reasonably priced. No one's crazy. Um, Michael Berryman, not a uh, Doctor Who, is like the higher end at 80 bucks. But, like, you know. Yeah, well, he was recently an Arrow, so... Oh, that's why his price is up? Yeah, you know. 
But there's like no crazy like hundred dollar person, you know. Right. I would. I would. I'm probably going to go through that later and see like what if they have combo packages and get the price, you know. Because I w- I would be getting all like for fifty bucks a piece. Like I have pictures from uh, like a couple of them. Like I have the sixth doctor and the fifth doctor. I have a picture with, but I'd be like McGann. I would get a Barrowman. I'd just be like laying out fifties. Like here you go. Okay, Let's- so like you can get like um. Uh, okay. So where's the trio with, so most of the duo shots where you get two people from Dr. Who together, right? Is 85 bucks. That's not bad at all. And then if, then there's, we're okay. Now they have a photo op where you can get your picture with all four doctors. That would be my dream. And that's 160 bucks. And like, like, that's not bad. No, you know what? And they probably take cards, so I don't have to see any of my uh, idols making change for me. Right. Show. <laughs> but that 165 bucks. You know how many times I would pay that? I would pay 165 each time for like a picture of one of them. 160. 160. Whatever. You get what I'm saying. Right. Like, and then the uh, McGann Ashbrook Eric Roberts triple shot for the eighth doctor is 120. Right. Done. I would do that too. Right. I would get multiple multis. Yeah. That's what I would do. I'm just saying. And not, not as, you know. They would be like, here comes black pocket t-shirt guy. This is, uh, you know, if you're in the area, you know. I might be in Pensacola this weekend. All right. Tell uh, Supper Shredder I said hi. <laughs> I will. Yeah. Uh, so, hey, uh, links to these conventions are in the show notes, of course, um, along with uh, information about soon-to-be-named network at soon-to-be-named-network.com, soon-to-be-named-network.tumblr.com. Uh, anytime any of the shows go live, uh, you could find them there. Almost as good as a text file of RSS feeds. Not as good or better than, but almost <laughs> as good. Right. Um, anytime the shows go live, whether it be this show that you're listening to, Longbox Heroes After Dark, uh, Add-Outs with Wrestling, We Need Wrestling, Final Wrestling Place, Puzzle Warriors 3, Profane Arguments, excuse me, uh, Wings on Wings, Porch Talk, uh, and anytime any of these folks go on any other shows and they let me know, you can find out about it there. I know our good friend The Boar is going to be appearing on Wrestling Cheers later this week. Uh, already getting early rave reviews in the DMs. I can't wait to listen. Just download it, at least, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. Give the show the boar bump. Because uh, he ain't taking any in the ring, so this is the only <laughs> you way. beat to... me to it. Yeah. Um, and also check out our other friends doing stuff in and around the internet. Uh, Mike Sterling over at his blog, Progressive Rune. Our friend Kevin Hellions over at his blog, MaskedLibrary.com. Uh, Rick Williams at FreeKarateChops.StoreEnvy.com. Uh, Jason Sandberg and Chris Runt, both longtime uh, listeners of this show, power listeners, if you will. They both put out self-published comic books. We have the links to those uh, set up here. Uh, you could also go check out our friend uh, Dave and the self-published comic that he did. Uh, we've known Davey for a long time. He's a multifaceted, talented person. He's a musician. He's a writer. Go support him. He's up to great stuff. And she gets her plug moved here 
our good friend Becky, who not only does her own original art and commissions and so forth, we had to find out through Secret that she is doing a pinup in a Kickstarter book that's coming out called Galarian Short and Deadly. Uh, the book has already more than met its goal, but Becky, I think this is the first time that she's getting um, some of her art published somewhere. I believe so. I'm not 100% sure, but I believe so. For sure. Uh, the the writer, Charlie Stickney, uh, is the creator of the book, and he reached out to a bunch of other folks. And I think he's from the area around here, uh, White Ash, PA. I don't know if that sounds familiar to you. Right. He, I think he does the comic called White Ash, to tell you the truth. Gotcha. And I got to fix this here, too. Um, but yeah, definitely go check out Becky's uh, social media. But I'm going to put the link for that Kickstarter in the uh, show notes here as well, just in case that's something that would be interesting to you. You like Becky's work and you want to support her. I think that's a way to say like, hey, I came to this book because of her, you know? That's right. She she brings all the, you know, the people to the book. Yes. Uh, I don't know the rest of that song. Um, right. I was going to do the song, but I changed my mind. It's better than yours, I think they say. Yeah. Um, and hey, we would not be remiss to mention uh, our local comic book shop. Say you don't have a comic book shop in your area or you don't have a good comic book shop in your area. Let our comic book shop be your comic book shop. Comics on the Green. We have their Facebook page linked up. That's where Dave and the crew uh, put up all the announcements of when the books are in for the week. So you can go head on down what the new releases coming out is when the order cutoffs are for the latest and greatest new books. And you can sign up for their mail order subscription service. Get books mailed to you weekly, bi-weekly, or monthly. And then uh, you'll be able to say that you got a sketch from uh, the world-famous Becky uh, on one of your packages that came in from the comic book shop. That's right. Regular Kickstarter star Becky. Yes. Uh, so let's get into what we read from this past week, Todd. I will turn things over to you. Right. And I'm going to start with the thing I was looking forward to most, which was Fantastic Four number four, written by uh, Ryan North, art by Ibon Coelho. Um, this is basically finally getting around to what happened in Manhattan to the Baxter building and the surrounding area. Um, the story starts out as we learned about past couple issues that Reed and Sue were following, uh, Alicia and Ben trying to find them out cause they left. They were kind of mad at Reed for whatever happened and they end up finding, uh, Ben and Alicia, but they're under this dome that has like a rocky hide, like Ben, we find out that this parasite from space is is attacking them and using their negative energy and memories to grow bigger and bigger. And Reed uh, calls in Johnny, and they start trying to take it down. But inside, Ben is reliving, and Alicia are reliving what happened that day. And it turns out it was an attack from the negative zone. They were coming through the Baxter building or, or whatever, and they were coming to destroy things, and they were just going to like roll over... Uh, the Fantastic Four and Reed makes a decision um, that basically I'm going to kind of give it away. He ends up blipping uh, then by this, like from the Marvel movies, people away. He's like, I have to save them. This place is going to blow up. He shunts them one year into the future um, because time and space works in a weird way. He's like, I have to, the gist of it was I have to wait till 
the planet comes around again to that spot so they don't just appear like in three days and the planet's not there, if that makes any sense. Um, so time and space together. And Ben's like, fine, we'll just jump and we'll go get bring everybody. He's like, no, we can't do this. We have to, if we mess with it, we could ruin everything and they might never come back. So Ben's like, you didn't ask me about like, you just sent my kids away, your kids away. And that's kind of what it is. And they go into the logistics, like the movies and stuff like that. What's going to happen to people and their lives and everything and how it affects everybody and who it actually affects the most. Um, you know, cause Reed and Sue's kids are gone too. And I'm just like, this is really good. But in the end, it's like a fantastic four story. And like, you know, I don't know if spoilers, things may work out. They may not, but I was taken back that it was the similarity to the Marvel story, but it was more Reed and Ben like butting heads after this that interested me more. But I think they just wanted to bring something like the blip into mainstream comics. If that makes any sense. Now, was there any mention, because I know we had speculated last week, uh, was there any mention of the Spider-Man stuff in this? No. I didn't even see Peter, like, swinging by, if I remember. Right. So that's that's interesting, that there would be two catacomblistic uh, events. Ha- events that happen in New York right around the same time that cause rifts with uh, strong family type units in the Marvel universe, right? Unless they're going to stealth connect it from Spider-Man yeah. side, you know what I mean? Like that's why I was wondering because the Spider-Man story is not hitting until May, and here's this story hitting here three months early, and I was just wondering if they like kind of tiptoed around it or right. yeah, no, nothing with nothing with Spider-Man. But once again, this is like my favorite book in a long, long time for the FF. Like other than the the big event. That just ha- that just affects the Fantastic Four and various people. Yeah, this is the most grounded like it's been in a while, and I'm hoping we can we can ride this book to the movie at least like this, you know? Yeah, for sure. That's quite a ways away, but sure. Right. So my recommendation: get Fantastic Four if you're an FF fan. Yep. Now, uh, did you read the book I was most looking forward to coming out this week as well? Yes, I read uh, Swamp Thing Green Hell. Right, Swamp Thing Green Hell number two. Uh, written by Jeff Lemire with art by uh, Doug Mankey, two creators who I love. Absolutely working on this project. Uh, I love Swamp Thing. Um, I really enjoyed when uh, Scott Snyder was doing Swamp Thing and Jeff Lemire was doing Animal Man at the beginning of New 52. Remember New 52, Todd? I was just lamenting about New 52 today with uh, Josh from the store. Yes. Um, was Josh born when New 52 happened? I don't know. He might have been just a glint. Um, but yeah, I don't know. So, um, so this, you know, I read the first issue when it came out 13 and a half months ago. (laughs) And then when I saw it come back up on the schedule, I'm like, well, I have to read issue one again, right? It's been over a year since I read it, right? Mm -hmm. So I got to re-familiarize myself with this, but it ties in to that new 52 stuff right um it's a future story where the world is pretty much destroyed um there's a lot more water than anything else that's left um the few survivors that are around are you know going out fishing every day fighting for scraps and of course there's factions amongst them 
that are fighting with each other, of course, because it's humans in the comic books and a post-apocalyptic thing. And there's a little girl that says, can't we get the old man in the uh, lighthouse to help us? And they're like, no, we made an agreement with him. We leave him alone and he leaves us alone. Uh, while all this is going on, uh, the green and the red and the rot, which were all introduced as concepts in those two books some 11 years ago, um, they make the decision. They're like, yeah, humanity's kind of screwed this up. Um, we're going to kind of push things along quicker. And uh, we're going to just start new, right? Right. So the head guy of, I guess, the bully faction, if you will, he gets to be chosen as the Green's new avatar. And he's more of a mindless killing brute, of course. And this causes the little girl to go to the lighthouse. And if you've seen the cover to issue two, you know that the man in the lighthouse (laughs) is John Constantine, who uses his magical abilities to bring our Swamp Thing, Alec Holland, back, who is happy with Abigail and Tefe. But no, John Constantine has to be a jerk and say, we got a problem. It's something that you could only fix. And it ends up severing Alec's connection to the green. So is he the Swamp Thing? Yes. Is he running unlimited powers? Absolutely. And is he fighting an uphill battle? He certainly is. Is this a beautiful looking book? Absolutely. But most importantly, this makes me want to go back and reread the Animal Man and Swamp Thing from New 52. Yep. Um, the one thing I would just like to say is the red was around long before Jeff Lemire's uh, Animal Man. That was all the way back to like Grant Morrison's run. Okay. No, that's fine. I'm just I'm just letting you know it's one of those that. But I do believe Snyder introduced the rot. Um, the one thing that I do like is pretty much Animal Man and Swamp Thing were one of those books that ran kind of without contradicting most of their stuff. Right. When it came into New 52. So I love, like, me loving Swamp Thing and, to a lesser extent, Animal Man from back in the day. Um, it doesn't contradict anything. The Parliament of Trees. John acts exactly the way. He acts more like John used to in the Vertigo days before they brought him over to the main universe for Justice League Dark. And he's a jerk and just nasty. Like, looks beautiful. This reminds me of all the Swamp Thing that I've ever loved. And then to kind of, like you said, he's running on limited power, which kind of reverts him back to before Alan's more swamp thing, that kind of, so it's just so layered for nostalgia for me, but in a good way, um, I'm really enjoying it. And once again, Monk's art is just, I really like it. Uh, I don't know if that was what took us to get a year because I was talking with somebody and they said, ah, you know, it didn't look as good as the first issue, but I didn't read reread the first issue. So, but I will say just reading this issue with not reading it in a year, I was the way it was written. I was able to pick up on everything, if that makes any sense. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of this and the oversized uh, really works for uh, this swamp thing kind of stuff. You know what I mean? I like that. It works better than a lot of some of the other oversized stuff they've done for Black Label. Yeah, I noticed the same thing, too. And again, with uh, Monkey's art, it's good. I like Doug Monkey's art inked with a heavier line. Mm -hmm. And this issue was kind of inked with a little bit lighter of a line, if that makes any sense. Right. The one thing is I'm flipping through it now that I can see is a lot of the close-ups... Uh, a Doug kind of uh, skimped on backgrounds by having nothing, if that makes any, like whites and blacks. And it's like, 
okay, I understand that we're in a apocalyptic kind of future, but I could see skimped on that. Otherwise, uh, the art's beautiful. Yeah, so uh, issue three is on schedule. Hopefully it uh, comes out less than 13 and a half months from now. Mm, over under, Joe, what do you say? Uh, I say under. Yep. Doomsday I give clock it, too. I give it two months. Mm-hmm. I was just wondering because I was talking and I said, remember when everything that was really delayed there for a while was oversized black label kind of stuff? Yeah. Like if there was something with like getting that stuff printed that DC got like pushed to the back of the line or something. So that's what we read from this past week and this past year plus. Uh, let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, if you head over to longboxheroes.com every Tuesday around noon Eastern time, we put up the poll post, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week. Whether you get your books in print, whether you get them digitally, whether you get them sent to your home, however it is you get your books, be forewarned, be forearmed, know what you're looking forward to this week. Um, the schedule showed this is a big week, and it did not disappoint. Todd is currently in the lead over me with one correct guess. Let's see how things are going to go here. Saga. Uh, Saga is correct. I just figured I wasn't going to beat around the bush. Um, I think the book you're most looking forward to coming out this week is Superman number one. You're right. You're right. It is Superman number one. I knew, but it was a tie. Like Saga is always up there. It was a tie between those two, that, mm-hmm. and also Batman Superman's World Finest Twelve, because Batman Superman uh, Batman Superman World's Finest Twelve is the pre-mentioned date between Supergirl and uh, Dick Grayson. Oh, that you were wondering it had ever happened, and I was like, I don't think so. Kind of a deal. So this is Mark Wade get finally getting around to what happened that Dick Grayson is embarrassed about. Uh, we also, you know, in the Nightwing one hundred and one is another biggie this week. Mm-hmm. I would say, right. Um, the end of Jason Aaron's Once Upon a Time at the End of the World is coming out, and I say the end. He's it, they're doing like four issue miniseries is with this, right. Um, and there is no solicit date on the next four issue miniseries as this is. Right. And I will say this what finally tipped me on getting Superman number one was that it's a different writer than Action Comics. I thought uh, Joshua Williamson was writing both books. No, I, I knew that. And I think if it was two new books. I wouldn't have done it, but the fact that it's just one new book I got to get. There's a new creative team on Action Comics. It's a creative team, I think, who had been doing uh, Superman for the last couple months here. Um, but I'm I'm intrigued to see what they do with Superman. I, I am, too. And the fact that it's, it's Joshua Williams who did that Flash run, and I stand by, like, I always, I like that Flash run a lot, that it's like my third favorite flash run kind of a deal. I mean, big, like I always say big gap between Mark Wade, Jeff Johns and the Joshua one, but it's still really good. So I'm like, I just want one really good Superman book that I could read a month. And I'm hoping that that's this right. Fingers crossed. Um, we're going to give it a try. We're going to talk about it here next week. Right. Uh, while you're over at longboxheroes.com, of course, be sure to check out uh, past episodes of this show, uh, past episodes of Longbox heroes after dark. And our current 2023 ongoing series, 
Uh, Todd and Joe have issues where we read, or we're actually going through a reread of Neil Gaiman's Sandman, not just the 75 issues, but all the miniseries, all the ancillary stuff, everything, everything. Uh, a list put together by Todd, broken up by me. Uh, average out to be about two issues a week that we're going to be looking at here. Um, you know, obviously, you can go to any of the uh, Todd and Joe have issue posts and kind of see the uh, truncated reading order. If you want the more specific reading order, absolutely reach out to to me, and I will give you that information. Uh, it's not like it's a secret or anything. But this week, we are talking about issues 15 and 16, which is the wrap-up of The Doll's House. All right. And we're going to have to see if we can squeeze in that new story if it comes out by the end of the year, too, Joe. Oh, yes. November. Right, oh. Well, we'll see where it fits in. Uh, I'm not... Well, listen, you buy one helmet, I'll buy the other helmet, and we'll go from there. Oh, we have to talk about that, too. Um, but anyway, uh, so this one is issue 15 called Into the Night. Um, and basically, a Rose Walker comes back to the house that she's been staying at. And, you know, everything that's happened with her brother being found, but because of the thing, he's in the hospital and unconscious, and they don't know how, how like, you know, how he's going to be. So, all the people in the house uh, Barbie, uh, Ken, Hal, uh, Chantel, and Zelda, they're all like trying to make her feel better. And she's like, I'm just going to go upstairs and go to sleep but i'm so worried like I, I i can't but she ends up falling under and she ends up giving basically like a recap of the doll's house like she's like oh here this happened to my brother blah 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 and then like it even gives some new information like while that was going on and she was running around uh she recently got a call from her mother that her newfound grandmother unity kincaid pretty much had a stroke and she's close to passing and the mother doesn't want to come to america to see about jed the brother because she feels she should stay with her so in the basically rose has a ton of stuff on her plate after and, going through this traumatic deal. Right, right. And well, her mother and her grandmother, who she just recently met, are a world away. Jed is incapacitated, uh, hopefully not to a permanent end. And, like, yes, she's getting support, but she's essentially getting support from strangers. Right. They're doing their best, but... And the one person that she had the connection to, Gilbert, is gone. Right, the one person, and like, kind of like, and it's not here, it's in the next issue where she ends up talking about how close she had become to Gilbert. But uh, yeah, so she ends up, she's like the dream vortex, and she ends up starting to, you know, manifest this vortex, whatever it is. And uh, Morpheus is talking to Matthew, and he's basically like, it's beginning now. And he ends up, Matthew's like, I don't understand what it is. And she's like, he's just basically ex explaining the vortex is Rose Walker and it's growing. And it means a number of things, but none of them are your concern. I need you to go to the boy, uh, go to the hospital and go with the boy. So that's where Matthew goes. And he goes off, even though he doesn't like hospitals from like the story that I said the last, when he was last alive, um, as this is going on, the vortex is affecting the dreams closest to Rose. And, you know, as they had said earlier in the story, it was probably gonna get bigger and bigger and bigger and, and, and encompass things. And we end up getting like the different dreams of all the people. And it's like, uh, can dreaming of you know beautiful uh, women and money um his is like the fastest dream it's like just very precise um we get uh chantelle dream she dreams of that she's in a relationship with a sentence which is a weird like 
take a dream kind of idea. Um, there's Zelda who's dreaming about her as her youth and how she was kind of like different and weird and her, her relationship with her mother, which wasn't very good. Um, and then there's Hal, who's the cross-dresser, who's, he's dreaming about, like, uh, wearing different faces and all that. So it kind of, it kind of, you know, works well. And the vortex is getting bigger and bigger and it's engulfing people to the point that we see, oh, and I forgot about, uh, a Barbie. Barbie's dreaming of, uh, Martin Tenbones and the, the, the world of the cuckoo. She has this like fantasy thing. And it almost seems like, you know, Barbie's dream is a little bigger than all the other dreams in this because she gets the most time, but they all start swirling together and they end up like Ken and Hal. They're all like, what's going on? I could see you. Like, are we dreaming? Are we awake? Kind of a deal. And, uh, roses in her head kind of like, oh, like I could feel it all. I could feel it bigger. It'd be so easy to bring all these dreams together, not just here, but everywhere. And as she's thinking this, Morpheus is showing up and he's like, enough. Like, en- like stop. Okay. And he end- Go ahead. So bye. before you move on, I want to talk about the dreams just briefly. Okay? okay. All the dreams are written differently, drawn differently, um lettered differently obviously to give them all their own separate feel and they all have a dreamlike quality to them um and i love it that neil is able to capture all that so much now i don't remember if it's here um but the two that are the most distressing to me um and i say distressing okay so zelda's dream okay Mm -hmm. All of Zelda's dialogue is, like, each uh, text box is one, like, run-on sentence. hmm Now, unless I'm mistaken, or I forgot it here from what we read, is it revealed that she has, like, a stutter or a speech impediment? I, it, it doesn't, because she doesn't talk, or she whispers, and re- seeing interviews with Neil, he says, like, this is where we're supposed to get that she has a speech impediment, right. because of the run-on sentences, but that, I don't get that, if that makes any sense. I must have remembered that from an interview then, so there's the part where, in her dream, of course, it's the run-on sentences, and she lifts her veil, and it's the the spider head, right? Right, but Obviously, that's... Sh- Chantel she's seeing. Right, okay. So, obviously, that's part of her dream. That's not the same artist, of course, but I get strong um, uh, Grant Morrison, Dave McKeon, Arkham Asylum vibes from those panels, right? Right, yep. Um, And then, of course, we have Hal's dream where, you know, he's seeing, as he mentions, you know, he dreams of, um, you know, Betty Davis and Judy Garland and Marilyn Monroe and everything else like that. And then there's the bit with uh, Judy Garland, and she takes off her face, and it's the witch's face, and then there's the witch's face, and then there's that last panel of just that sad person saying, Hal, you'll have to help me. I'm running out of hands. That is great. Such a haunting line of dialogue, and I would be remiss if we did not mention it. No, you're, you're fine, and I mean... You know, like even like how later on in his dream, he gets he finds the like the person he sees Robert again, like who's Robert? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, just all of it. Um, But I do like, you know, it's it's coming. And then there's even the bit where they're in the house and all the people are 
the dreams are uh, manifestations of the rooms in that house, a la like a dollhouse kind of thing. Like, there's so much I could go over on this and like dissect, but like, it's it's just amazing. You know what I mean? But I get, I get uh, the dream stuff. So Morpheus, like basically like says, that's enough. You've, you know, you've done so much damage. Uh, I, I think it's time for us to talk. And then we see the ramifications of said dreams to all the people like Ken woke up, you know, raring to go, but you know, uh, Barbie was crying and she didn't know why. And then you see Zelda and Chantel just holding each other and, and Hal uh, just wakes up with dread and he goes to see uh, if Rose is there and Rose is gone. And I like that. He's not surprised at all. So we cut to like, you know, Miranda and uh, her grandmother, her mother, Unity Kincaid. And she's like, you know, on the edge of death. But she basically says that she wants uh, Rose to have the doll's house, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, so Morpheus is, is like, you know, flying through the dreaming, carrying Rose. And this is one of those things, one of the few things that I'm going to actually like touch kind of on in it where she's like, Oh, this is so bizarre. I'm in a dream. And he's like, after a fashion, he's like, I've never had a flying dream before. Um, uh, you know, say whoever you are, do you know that Freud said about fly dreams of flying? It means you're really having dreams about sex. And Morpheus is like, indeed. So tell me then, what does it mean when you dream about having sex? And this is one of those lines that I'm going to say, this is like 1990 ish. I was like, you know, and I read it like a few years, like maybe a year or two later. So I was in my early uh, 20s, late uh, teens. And I, I don't know why that that just blew my mind. I was too young, no matter how old I was for that line. Um, and you, was, you were just you were just a young man of 41. You had so much more to live. Right. But it, it stuck with me. And I, and I kind of kind of love it. Um, and then he's like, we're here. And, you know, uh, it has begun. So Matthew is flying to Jed's side and he's like, I don't even know why I'm here. I don't think the kid can hear me. And you hear like, no, but I can hear you. And it's Gilbert. And he's like, uh, I didn't know. I, you know, I knew someone would come from the dream and take me home, but I didn't know who it would be. It'd be somebody I knew, but you're new. And he's like, I haven't been doing this for long kind of a deal, but he sent me here. Um, and they kind of explain, he's like, you're a dream, blah, blah, blah. I'm kind of a bit of a dream. And he's like, uh, he's like, I'm going to go back. But the thing I'm going to miss the most is Rose Walker. And Matthew goes, the vortex. And he's like, Rose is the vortex. He's like, I should have realized. And there's a great shot of him, like losing the, 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 the spectacles, like, you know, like a proper gentleman would, the only thing would be better is if he dropped in his martini. Or if he, instead of wearing spectacles, he was just wearing a monocle. Right. Just a monocle and it lands in his martini. And he's like, uh, he's like, yeah, she's the, the, the the vortex and he's going to, the boss is going to deal with her. And he's like, oh, man, he's like, that means he's going to kill her. And he's like, to protect the dreaming. And I like this kind of lays it out. It's like, it's the only time he's empowered to take a human life, you see. It's one of his rules. And I like, once again, it like rolls down to um, how this is. And he's going to have to kill her to be concluded. And like, like one of the, the main things with Sandman to me is how Morpheus is super rigid when it comes to his responsibilities. And the only thing is, before we wrap up this issue to go on to the finale, um, they're really hammering, and, you know, obviously we know, and we talked about it last week, that Matthew the Raven is Matthew Cable from Swamp Thing. 
Matthew's dialogue in this issue, rereading it back, is like very ham-fisted in that we want you to know that this is someone. Mm -hmm. And we want to give you clues to figure it out. Um, And this, it doesn't usually, that at least, you know, obviously what we've read up to this point and what we know of Neil, he's not so usually forward with clues or hints or trails that you're supposed to follow down. But Mm -hmm. for some reason with Matthew, he was. Right, but I think he also didn't want to give too much because he didn't want footnotes to see, you know, Swamp Thing because Vertigo wasn't like that at this time. You know what I mean? Well, Vertigo wasn't Vertigo at this time. Well, you get what I mean. They're uh, suggested for mature readers' books. Yeah, but like he wasn't coming out and saying like, "Oh, you know, I knew a guy and his name was Alec." And like, (laughs) it's not that blatant, but it's like forward enough that it's gonna get you to think that there's something more to him than there actually is when it's just like, oh, he just ties into this other book, you know? Yeah, and people maybe would go looking for it. Yeah. You know what I mean? But, so then 16 is, we're good then? Yeah. All right, so uh, this issue is called Lost Hearts, and, you know, obviously between between books, Morpheus has explained you know, kind of what's going to happen. And she's like, is that, you're going to kill me? You know, cause I'm the vortex. He's like, basically, yes. And she's after a while, she's like, I blah, blah, blah. And she basically comes to terms. She's like, ah, this is a dream. Go ahead and kill me. You know, you're what, what do I got to worry about? You know, I'm just going to wake up. And he's like, no, no. Um, uh, you're, you're right. This is a dream, but a dream you will not wake up from not now or not ever. Um, and, uh, He's, you know, they discuss, she's trying to wonder why this would happen to me. And Gilbert is running. And now I have a question for you at this point. As of last issue, when you first read it, did you realize that Gilbert was Fiddler's Green or did it take to like him actually saying it? No, no, I, I, that's one of the things I remembered from way back when. Right. No, but I mean, you know, last issue, because he says I ran from the dreaming, but he never says he's Fiddler's Green. Did you know, like last issue? I, I knew issue one. Okay, just making sure. You know what I mean? That's one of those things that, like, from re, you know, rereading this all those years ago, That's this is one of the things that, like, stuck with me, you know? Right, right, okay. Like, it's not like I had to figure out the clues. As soon as Gilbert shows up, I'm like, that's Fiddler's Green. Whether okay, I saw so- that the, when he shows up in the Netflix show, I'm like, that's Fiddler's Green, you know? Right, right. Um, so but I, he- I want to just mention, as you say, Gilbert is running to get there. Um, Morpheus tells the story of the previous Vortex, right? Mm-hmm. Um... And he just says that it takes all the dreams into themselves until all dreams are one, and then everything's gone. It takes the minds of the dreamers with them, and it damages the dreaming beyond repair. Leaves nothing but darkness. It is one of my functions to prevent this from happening again. And Rose asks again, and Dream says it happened once. A world was lost, Rose Walker, eons eons ago, and a half a universe away. I failed in my duty, and a whole world perished. It will never happen again. Right. So, again, setting the stakes for how important it is, you know, for Dream to essentially kill this young girl. Right. The stakes, if you were on Rose Walker's side during this, (laughs) Dream is laid out like, okay, listen, you might like this girl, but if I let her live, the world's over, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe we will get that story down the line, Joe. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and that's the one thing that I do like about this. Um, and just to mention here that there's all these little things that Sandman will mention or somebody will throw out or somebody will just do one, a one off line and they will either become stories in the 75 issue run or the one shots and the minis that come later or in your mind, he has this story in the chamber ready to go. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I always feel like at any moment he could turn any little thing in here into a story. So uh, I do like that she asked him. He's like, well, you know, you do all that. You're the king of dreams, you know, magic, whatever. Can't you just make it not happen? So he's like, I'm not omnipotent. And I do like that, that they established that the endless are not, you know, can do anything. They, they do have some limitations. Um, that's when Gilbert shows up. And he's like, I'm, you know, I'm, uh, I'm here. And he kind of like stands in front of the defender and he's like, Fiddler's green. And I like when they have the discussion, he's like, why did you leave? You were like the most trusted of my, my game. And he was like, and I like his answer. He's basically like left. Cause I was curious. So like, it wasn't malice that he left. He's like, I wanted to try and see, you know, what life as a human was. And it contained substance. I never dreamed of in the dreaming, the little victories and the tiny defeats. I had my reasons. And, um, and he offers his life and he's like, no. And, uh, and he's like, I can't, that's not the way. This is the only way the dreaming can survive. Um, and along the way, uh, Unity, as this is going on, Unity's slowly slipping, you know, into death kind of a deal as she's talking to his mother. She's talking to her daughter, I mean. Um, and I do like that uh, Sandman, as he's talking, like, says, like, uh, there's nothing that any of you can do. And he's like, Fiddler's Green, I cannot find it in my heart to punish you for leaving. Not now. So I do like... <sighs> Like, as we talked with him being captured and everything that's gone on, and he's kind of softened a little, seeing Hob for the second time, I feel old Morpheus would have dropped the hammer on Fiddler's Green. But this he, this is a slightly softer dreaming, a dream. And he's like, I can't do it. And he doesn't punish him. He's just kind of like, go back and, you know, do your thing. And he's like, she's like, oh, he's like, I hope you will, you know, when I go that you will come and visit me because I'm not a person. I'm a place in the dreaming. And he's like, like you know, meadows and, and leaves. And I hope if you decide to stay because you offered the chance um, if you die in the dreaming that you'll stay. And I do like that Morpheus like apologizes one more time and she snaps at all the apologies. And he's like, if you're going to do it, just do it now. Uh, Unity is like on the edge of death and she shows up and she stops Morpheus and he's like I don't know what's going on here Unity Kincaid but you have to leave this place and he's like no this is with me this is my business and, and I'm actually you know I should have been the Vortex and he basically tells Rose I gave you a ring uh, an Annette or whatever I forget what the actual word was and she's like give it to me and give me your heart and this can be, you know, can change. I'm dying. I'm going to take your place. And she ends up reaching and pulling out this glass heart, which reminds me of like the glass heart from the Nada story and everything. Yep. And he ends up, she ends up, you know, I'm the vortex. I should have been the vortex. Unity says, um, and she snaps the heart and she ends up dying. And he's like, what happened? And he's like, are you still going to kill me? It's like, nope. 
I don't, you know, you are fine. Uh, I have no quarrels with you. You can leave now. As a matter of fact, you're, I'm going to bring your kid, your brother back from conscious, uh, unconsciousness. I do like your family has suffered enough kind of a deal and goodbye, Rose Walker. And then she woke up and the story jumps six months. And I like where she ends up giving all the information that's happened to everybody in the house. She's like, Hal is selling the house. She's ending, he's ending up selling it to uh, Chantel and uh, Zelda. And he's leaving. She thinks she's found a man, which is kind of cool if it has anything to do with that dream. Um, Ken and Barbie have broken up. And I like that Ken found a Barbie person that looks just like Barbie, but is younger. Um, uh, I forget where Barbie goes. It's just, is sort of gone. Um, She's like, I, I don't know where Gilbert ever went. And she, uh, I have all this money. Unity left us all this money. Um, she's thinking about all this stuff that's happened. And she ends up thinking, she's like, I wish Gilbert was here. He was the only friend that I could really talk to other than Judy. And it goes, she starts talking about her. Right. And, and she was the girl who died in the massacre in the diner. And they even they even have the pinup, which I think is kind of cool. Um, they have the pinup of the guy Gilbert was based on, the actual look of him, which is fantastic. And she's like, oh, man, like this is was it a dream? And I think it's a cop out to any story that I've ever wrote and then uh, read and you woke up from a dream and she's like, but what if it was all real? What if like we are these dolls and we're just in their dollhouse, these, these gods, it kind of makes her like kind of cringe to think about it, but she's like, Oh, my mother's here and Jed's, you know, here and alive and she ends up cutting her hair and taking all the dye out of it. And, you know, and she's just like, in the end, she's like, oh. And then she woke up. I suppose there are worse endings. And I really like that line for, like, everything that it entails in all of this. Um, cut to Morpheus on his throne. He goes to his gallery where all the things are, the sigils, as they call him. And he ends up. As you know, doing the bit where he summons himself to desire, um, and he goes and she's she's she he you know because that's how they kind of talk about desire is dressed like I don't know Ed from Pod Van Dam beat, beat me to it desire <laughs> the original cat girl uh, uh possible the original furry but yes not mm-hmm. fury but furry right um and he's like uh. I, he's like, she's like, what do you want? Do you desire anything? He's like, I don't desire anything, but I have a few questions. Um, Unique Cage should have been the vortex, but because she was asleep, she was asleep because I was imprisoned. It trans, it went down her genetic line to her granddaughter. Um, and I'm trying to think. This kind of has your stink about it. And he's like, he's like. Uh, who was the one who impregnated Unity Kincaid all those years ago? She's like, oh, was it kind of like that obvious? He's like, no, you you did a good job, like covering your tracks. Um, but w- what you wanted me to do, and this is important, was to take the life of one of our blood with all that would entail. Was that your plan, or was it more devious than that? And he's like, doesn't matter, didn't work out. Um, she's like, if you weren't my family, because I can't, you know, what would happen if I? He doesn't say what would happen if I kill one of my kin. He goes, uh, she's like, but she laughs. She's like. But I am, so you're not going to do anything. He's like, but if you do anything like this again, 
you know, I will make, I will forget that we're brother and sister, but don't play with these people in the end. And I want to see how he, he's like, um, we are the endless. We are the servants of the living. We are not their masters. We exist because deep down they know in their hearts that we exist. Um, and she's kind of like, if anything, we do not man- manipulate them. We manipulate th- us. They manipulate us, which is kind of like the swap of what you uh, Rose is thinking about. Yeah. And I love that. And he's like, and if you ever do anything that again, I will rise up. And if you think you're strong enough, little sister, to go up against your biggest siblings, me, destiny, and death, think about it. And I like when every time they do a little bit more information about what the pecking order is and everything like that. And desire ends up thinking to yourself, like, am I a doll to these little stupid mortals? She's like, I don't feel like one. Nothing like a doll at all. And it ends because it's poetry, because it rhymes. It, the way this doll's house starts out is in, you know, desire's realm and the big body of desire and everything. And it ends here. Um, I didn't remember doll's house as well as I had the other stories. And I forgot how all, well all this ties together. Shockingly, Neil Gaiman ties everything in. Um, just a great ending for, you know, a short, you know, uh, storyline. I forget. Or forgot that we get the reveal this early that Destiny was the one that was pulling the strings with Desire. Uh, uh, De- Desire, yes. Yes, no problem. The Desire was the one that was pulling the strings with Rose and Unity. And you have that bit where Dream says, like, no, no, you, you, you hid your plan very well, but what was your plan? And Destiny's like, does it really matter? It didn't work. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, I want to know what the plan was. Right, and but I think Desire's done. She's not going to pull any more schemes, right, Joe? Right. Fool me once, mm-hmm. learn my lesson. I'll never uh, meddle in dreams affairs ever again. Right. And, but what makes me truly sad is that I do believe, because I may have mistakenly said it, this is, I definitely believe, the last of Mike Dridgenberg's work. Um, okay. And, and he's so, his Sandman, like, angry, Morpheus, angry, sad, whatever. He's just so perfect. Uh, but I think we get a few good artists before the story, the, the series ends. So. Yeah, I definitely think, no knock on Mike Dridgenberg, but uh, just based on the success of where we are now, that this book, the pedigree of this book, draws in some of the biggest names in not just comic, comics, but in fantasy art as well. Right. And f- to be fair, too, this book might put some artists on the map, too. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, there were there were artists before it. But I'm trying to remember, like, I don't want to give too much away. Like, when we get to Seasons of Mist, was Kelly Jones's big or did, did this put him on the map? <sighs> or do you want I to think, talk about it when we get there? I think we'll talk about it when we get there. Yeah. Don't want to drag my feet. But you get what I'm saying. Like... Yeah, because uh, I I hadn't heard of like artists until they were on this. You know what I mean? Right, right. So, but anyway. I, I think you know it, it was like artists that were maybe toiling, you know, maybe like I said, doing fantasy illustrations here and there, which pays very well. Mm-hmm. But obviously, getting in Sandman, which is this book that's on the rise with right. such prominence, and it's essentially like it's nonstop. Like from here on out, it's an unstoppable juggernaut. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's because of Doll's House and what comes after that if these books don't happen, Vertigo doesn't happen. Wholeheartedly. Or at the very least, Vertigo's not a success. 
Yeah, you know what though? Like I will say, because then you have, and I don't want to be that guy where like you know, and semantics kind of thing. But you have to roll back all the way to like Swamp Thing too. Like it, it all rolls. But this is the book of the at the time, the fame of it, the draw of it to bring in the number one selling horror title in like how many decades that gets Vertigo done. I'm with you, but and also this offshoot gets quality other writers to draw other uh, mature uh, draw and write mature titles so we get our vertigo uh, but it is to me like a journey but this is one of the biggest steps right um so I, I again you covered pretty much everything else um again i do want to apologize uh, hopefully i'm not going to dwell too too much on it but me talking about zelda earlier is a spoiler for i think issue 74 75 so <laughs> my apologies right um but like i said i did read in interviews he was trying to establish that here right um but yes you're you're you know, kind of a deal we'll see it's not yep. the biggest one you're going to give away so right uh so next week we have issue 17 and 18 which are two single issue stories followed by the week after which is two more single issue stories before the next big story arc kicks off right uh, so again, seventeen, eighteen. Looking forward to it. Um, you know, obviously the Todd and Joe issues post go up on Thursday, uh, so be sure to check those out. Uh, T Public is having their sale, thirty five percent off all their designs. Get Long Box Heroes, soon to be named Network, at odds with wrestling, a bunch of the other shows in the network designs, uh, inspired on shirts and uh, cell phone covers and notebooks and all sorts of things. Uh, from Wednesday until Sunday, like I said, 35% off all of those. Uh, I got shirts and pins and stickers here. If you want those, just click on the little store button. Uh, you can sign up for our Patreon, dollar a month, $5 a month. It's going to get you the two bonus shows that Todd and I do, which is, uh, previewing the past where we look at 30 years ago, this month's previews catalog, uh, to see what the world of comics looked like way back then. And our movie show, which this year we're doing comic book oddities. So far, uh, we did the Roger Corman Fantastic Four and the David Hasselhoff Fox TV pilot of Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. If you've never seen these things, you've never heard of these things, you want to hear us talk about those, go sign up for the Patreon. You also get full-color, high-quality scans of those preview catalogs that we're talking about. Professionally done, except for like the last 30 or so pages. Those ones look a little shoddy, if you ask me. But anyway, um, $5 a month is going to get you those podcasts uh, two weeks before everyone else. And it's going to get you Longbox Heroes After Dark two days before everyone else so that you can listen to these shows in the correct listening order. Right. And now, uh, we also would be remiss, it's new, so bear with us, our eBay affiliate link. Uh, hey, if you're shopping on eBay, you're making a best offer, you're doing a bid, you're doing a buy it now, whatever you're doing, go through our affiliate link first. Uh, usually in the show posts, there's going to be affiliate links to stuff for some of the things that we've talked about here and there and wherever. Um, but again, we get a little bit of a kickback. It works similar to the way that the Amazon thing worked. We're still working out the kinks. Uh, you know, any little bit helps. Right. For sure. Um, and now I think last but not least... It's time for spoiler-filled discussion of Ant-Man 3, also known as Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. Yeah, right. Um, so how do you want to tackle this, Joe? Okay, well, again, we're not going to do like a beat-by-beat -beat review of the movie. I you know, 
We're not going to say, oh, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then no, this I happened. No, I got you. I'm so going to say – oh, go I'm ahead. Gonna, I'm going to give you my take on it really quick because I think you know, you're going to have more to say than I am. Uh, I didn't love this movie, but I didn't hate this movie. Like, this was a real middle, middle of the road. I thought the first – and I'm going to break it down to the first two acts I was kind of ho-hum about. I got into the movie when the siege happens, when – uh, when Ant-Man's like, I have a plan and he grows big and he's like, and he's mad at Kang for what happened. He's like, we had a deal. And that's when I first got my, like, I'm like, I'm, I'm in on this. I liked other stuff. I liked MODOK. I liked bits and pieces of the movie, but somebody said, it, I saw it online. Like, I feel a lot of this movie is unearned at times and I get it. It's a comic book movie. We got to move fast, but it's like, Hey, I'm it's nobody's mentioned his name. They're just calling him the conqueror, the conqueror, the conqueror, the conqueror. And I'm like, what has he conquered? We don't see him conquer anything. It's just like we get all this, like he's Kang, the conqueror. And it's like, oh, we had a, a bit quick business with uh uh who's the mother? Uh but Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle She's Pfeiffer. Like, Michelle Pfeiffer. She's like, oh, you know, I saw it when I touched the thing, and then he's conquered the quantum verse. But other than a couple of guards storming when there's Bill Murray there, I don't feel that he's and a couple of, uh, you know, uh, rebellion people like it's like, oh, he conquered us and we fight him. And I'm like, I just I, I don't know. Like, I don't I don't think Kang's any good until he snaps and he just starts vaporizing people. I'm like, I don't care about Kang. I don't think he's any good. I think he's bland. Um, and then it happens and then the battle happens and then the movie ends and they just give us more. Like if you, if you, if you thought that was cool with Kang, here's just more of Kang. And I'm like, I don't really know what you're doing here. I don't hate it, but I don't love it. That's the best I can come up with. We said spoiler filled talk, right? Yeah. I really like this. Okay. I got nitpicks. Um, I, and like my nitpicks are maybe some of the most Joe nitpicks in the history of nitpicks. Is it uh, Janet Van Dyne's haircut? <laughs> no, it's Michael Douglas's neck. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, there's a couple shots that linger lovingly on the loose skin on Michael Douglas's neck. And oh. anytime that I see something like that happen in a movie or a TV show, where like the camera just lingers on somebody's like their like their weird skin or a bald spot or like a weird birthmark near their eye. And I'm like, that's being done intentionally, you know? Um, so it's a little distracting, but again, we, I have more nitpicks, but like I said, I really like the movie. Um, obviously I'm a Kang apologist and a Kang understander. Okay. Um, obviously this movie was Kang and the rest. Uh, let's get, uh, let's establish our big bad. And I get where you're coming from, where you're coming into this movie, like many of us, uh, many, uh, wrong people predisposed that Kang is not good and Kang is good. And I think this movie did as good as a job as they possibly could in getting that over as good as a job as they could without making this movie a three hour bloated monstrosity. Okay. Um, and I get where you're saying, like, hey, we've got to move things along. And I like that they move things along. We get that establishing bit in the beginning where, um, and again, it's Janet, again, Michelle Pfeiffer. Um, she's in the quantum realm. She's saved by Kang, who's the last desperate thing. And we see him at his lowest moment, okay? Mm -hmm. um, and then throughout the course of the movie, 
Uh, obviously, whatever happened to the quantum realm while Michelle Pfeiffer was there, she doesn't want to talk about it. She doesn't want to talk about it. Uh, but obviously, once the other members of your family are messing around with the quantum realm, you should have spoke up sooner. That's my only – that's another gripe of mine. But if she doesn't speak up, we don't have a movie, and I understand that, right? I, I will say on that one, I'm 100% with you. Like, Because we always talk about this, especially like with the Flash TV show, when we watched it. Yes. It was always the lies or the cover-ups that caused all your problems. Yes. And I, I understand you need problems – conflicts yes but i think there's always better ways to do it than oh like you never talked about the quantum world and blah 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 and it's like this and that and i just i was like okay and we go in and it made me dislike michelle pfeiffer you know what i mean like if this is so dangerous speak up you know mm. yeah but anyway so they all get sucked into the quantum realm they all get separated so now we've got two stories going on where uh Scott Lang, who has actually come like become complacent, you know what I mean? He wrote a book. He's getting his free coffees. He's getting the employee of the decade thing at Baskin Robbins, and like he's getting soft, right? He's not out there doing the adventure and crime and stuff. But hey, man, I I flew to that uh, airport and I fought alongside Captain America. I could ride on that for a long time, right? You know, oh, he saved the universe. He come saved on. the universe, and slack. I'm with him. I'm with him. You know. What am I supposed to fight? You know what I mean? Other ants, right? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, don't so get they, me started on ants, but go ahead. So Scott and Cassie end up getting separated. We're there with like the freedom fighters, the people that lived in the quantum realm that had their world destroyed by Kang. And again, they keep saying the Conqueror. We know it's Kang. We know it's the guy that we saw at the beginning of the movie. They don't. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we have this idea going into it of knowing how bad Kang is. Our heroes don't. You said it best how bad Kang is, but go ahead. Like he's a he's a he's a bad mammer jammer, you know. Right, and I want to get this out before you go further. I never hated Kang in the comics, but I never loved Kang either. Sure, I don't want just that I have Kang disrespect. I'm just like ah, okay. So so then we have um, Hank and uh, Hope and Janet. They're separated. Uh, Janet has the history here, so she knows how to navigate. She knows the customs. Uh, she knows, like, oh, when you meet this guy with the robe, you do the gimmick where you cut his arm off, and then he swallows the sword, and that's how you get a transport to the next thing. Goofy stuff like that. And listen, I loved all the creature and monster designs in here. Really I was looking for do-backs all over the place, and I didn't see none. And all that right. was a missed opportunity. I will say this. Uh, and she also knew to drink the goo, so that's always important. She right, she knew to drink the goo. Right, but when that happens, when the pod racers—I mean, those hovering things—show up <laughs> to save them, and then they ride animals to the cantina. I mean, the bar. Uh, okay, no, you're, you're I, talking about all the good stuff in Star Wars, right? I, I How, am, there's not a pod race and a canteen in every movie I see, Todd. And I'm not, but, okay, so I just want to say, yes, you copied an A, and you somewhat got an A. I'll give you that. (laughs) But it was jarring to see how much they wanted to make the Quantum World Star Wars. Yeah. Like, and I have no problem with it. If it works, you know, it works. But I was like, man, this is really Star Wars. Not a little bit, but a lot of bit. (laughs) I like Star Wars. I like an Ant-Man. I like a Kang. Todd, what are we talking? What's going on, right? Right. Go ahead. So we're gonna get to another nitpick of mine: the Bill Murray scene. Okay. 
Bill Murray playing a swarmy character? Swarmy character? Oh, I'm shocked. This scene felt like Bill Murray slept, walked through a day off that they were able to get him on set and put him in a silly costume, do one take on all of these lines, and then go away. Right? He's the calculon of the Marvel Universe. Yes. And listen, I like Bill Murray. Bill Murray, you know, uh, I know there's people that run hot and cold. He's got a, he's been garnering a bit of a reputation lately. And again, you know, I don't know how he's escaped like being like ultra mega mass homicide canceled, but here we are. Uh, but his scene felt very lazy and tacked on, but it was just an exposition dump for us to find out since Michelle Pfeiffer ain't talking about what she did in the quantum realm. And it turns out that because she nursed Kang back to health, and helped him rebuild his time ship, that's the reason why he was able to take over the quantum realm, destroy all these people's homes, and become the conqueror, as it were. Uh, because we find out that Kang is such a bad mamma some people who are in some sort of council with him of some kind... It's Not a council Gre- of Greece, but a oh, council of some other kind? You got me. <laughs> Go ahead. Listen, you and I get the same script every week, you know? No... There's no T or J in front of any of these. You know, you just read what's on the script. Uh, (laughs) So we find out that Kang was purposely exiled to the quantum realm and his time ship was um, damaged so that he would be stuck there and he wouldn't mess up the plans of what this council of whomevers are up to. Right? And I did like the fact that she didn't know what he was like there's stuff that i really like and i like the fact that he was using the fact like help me and i can get you back to hope the day you you left her at the door yeah and that's her driving force and then she touches the ship when they get it charged up and she sees now granted this is the only bit kind of bill where they show that he was also the conqueror before he got here and it was like, okay. And then later on, it says, like, how many worlds are you going to destroy? How many timelines are you going to destroy? And she ends up taking the the, path, the good path and destroying the, the energy source or whatever. Right, which she I puts like. the, the pim particles on it. Right, which later on of the two decisions, it's harder for uh, Ant-Man to make the decision because it's more his daughter that's in it, other than her getting home. You know what I mean? It's two different right. choices. So Scott makes a different choice. And I like all that because yeah. – uh, so obviously, th- so um, Janet has this negative reputation in the quantum realm because she's the one who helped Kang come to power here. Um, as Todd mentioned, of course, Scott ends up making that other deal with Kang, not knowing what we, the audience, and what the other people know that Kang is this bad person, even though all the rebels and stuff are like, no, he's bad, but it's like, oh, you can offer me this thing, right? Um, and it's also during this that we find out that Kang is unleashed his ultimate weapon and i'm not going to do the thing because like i said i'm fighting the the sniffles here i wish Uh, you had the sniffles more but go ahead right um and that would be modok which was the only thing that would got stooged off to me but go ahead well so i knew modok was in the movie okay but i I knew who modok was i didn't know who modok was and this is one of my nitpicks okay Mm -hmm. um my modok so i love modok okay and I think Modok is a more acceptable villain to like. I think he's more of a cult favorite to people. 
yes. then you're Kang. By the end of this year, you'll all be Kangamaniacs like you'll me. You'll be all Kang-pilled. Yes, you'll all be Kang-pilled. But MODOK shows up, and listen, Todd, uh, you know, I, I know a lot of people are goofing on the way the effect looked on uh, MODOK's face when he lifted up his, like, face mask thing, you know? Right, right. Um, I thought that was okay. Like, it looked goofy enough in a way that it wasn't, like, too distracting, you know? Like, I can't explain it, but I didn't hate that. What I hated was that Modoc is Yellow Jacket. Well, they change things, John. I don't like when they change things this far along. Like, we are this far along in establishing the Marvel Cinematic Universe. If Kang cannot be George, whatever his last name is, it's this weird, unpronounceable Tenaeus or something like that. If that can't be Modoc, then just have Modoc be just a thing, right? Somebody, right. But it turned out to be Darren, so... Eh, who was a character I didn't like, and he gets a bit where he gets himself redeemed because he sacrifices himself to save the crew. Becomes an Avenger. And he becomes an honorary Avenger, right, right. And I look forward to the next Avengers movie where somehow Darren ends up living, and he shows up, and here's, like, your new Avengers of, like, Falcon and the Winter Soldier and Scarlet Witch and Kate Bishop Hawkeye. And Darren Cross Modoc, because in the quantum realm, Scott made him an honorary Avenger, and that is a legal and binding contract. I will say this: I honestly, I, I dream book Darren coming back for the Thunderbolts, right before before Modoc. Like I always thought, because he had pin particles, he would have been a good Atlas, and he could have turned good. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the whole Thunderbolt storyline. You know, because they're going to... If you hate what they did to, to MODOK, I have a feeling you're going to hate Thunderbolts um, when it comes out. Uh, I'm they, so far... So we'll cross that bridge when we get to right. it. But we, as a comic book reading thing, are so far removed from the 1997 Thunderbolts. Mm-hmm. Like, we're seven iterations away from the Thunderbolts. But you get what I'm saying. You know what I mean? I do like, get what you're saying. If they put... Like, if the Thunderbolts' first mission is against Citizen V and Atlas and Songbird and Techno and Mach 1, and they smush them off camera, I'll be upset. Right. But I do think, I do have a strong feeling that Darren Cross isn't dead. It's, it's, the, it's the microverse. Like, right. They're going to throw him in a box to tank, and he's going to be fine. He was bleeding, puking all over the place. I don't know. Right. He's a back to tank. I mean, a health tank that's, you know, completely different in this world. Right. Um, Next to the pod racers. <laughs> but I do think he could come back. That's the only thing. But of the things of this movie, he was one of the things that I found funny, especially since I got to see his tushy. Yeah. So. And one last nitpick, and then we'll wrap it up, is not so much Ant-Man, but more so just movies in general. I don't like the way that fight scenes are shot these days. I can't focus on anything. I'm They're old. too frenetic. They're too all over the place. I'm an old. Give me two slow 50-year-old guys in geese throwing half-speed round kicks at each other, and that's really all I need, you know? Well, let me one of like one of my like nitpicks that I think you could agree with is when Scott and Cassie were dealing with the rebels. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, not the rebels against the empire. It was the, the, you know, the upstarts against Kang, the conqueror. Um, it, the scenes in that they're, they're, they're whatever they're, uh, were they, their camp set up. It was so dark. 
I was having trouble making stuff out. No, it was okay. A lot of stuff is shot very dark, and I get you. There it was okay, but, like, there was fight scenes that were taking place in, like, poorly lit uh, CGI sound stages. Right. And I'm just like, come on, guys. Like, like shine a light, you know? Right. And the other thing, um, I did see the holes gag coming, like, a thousand miles away. Uh, I had the first part of the gag spoiled. And, like, I, there was a right. lot of people It's like, where's the humor? The first two Ant-Man movies are funny. I don't like the opening stuff and the end stuff in San Francisco were really funny. They worked in a bunch of jokes when Kang wasn't on screen because Kang is a deadly serious character that we should all take very seriously and love. Right, um, everybody should be saying, where's Kang? You know? Right. Um, but, of course, like I said, so um, we get a bit where, of course, our heroes finally get over on Kang. They open up the realm back. They open up the door back home. They're all going through it. Kang makes his last final desperate shot at Cassie. Scott pushes her through. And then Scott and Kang have a little bit of a battle. And Kang delivers a monologue a couple times in here of like how time is not what we know it to be. Right. Mm -hmm. And obviously time travel stuff gets so screwy and so messy in the comic books. And I think they tried to dumb it down as much as they possibly can here before they start just ladling all the time travel nonsense on top of us over the next like two years of these movies. Yeah. Which I always find funny that you're a big Kang fan and correct me if I'm wrong. I'm take doctor who out of it and the joking that we do. I always felt you hated time travel stories. So I normally hate time travel stories because most people who write time travel stories, do them poorly, or they do them as a way to put a Band-Aid on something that they think is broken. Okay. And I'll say this, I have the luxury of reading a good chunk of Kang stories that happen to be written by Kurt Busiek. (laughs) Fair enough. So it's almost like Kurt Busiek is a good comic book writer and can write that sort of stuff in a way that isn't, like, impenetrable. Or confusing as all heck. You yeah, know? you know, and even the confusing stuff, he doesn't dwell too much on it. It's just like, here's some mumbo jumbo. Don't worry about it now. Here's the thing that you need to know. We're going to come back to this. Maybe like 12 to 18 issues, right? Yeah. Uh, so Scott, it, like Kang is about to get the drop on Scott. Uh, Hope comes back through to save Scott. They are able to get the jump on Kang. And of course... You know, Kang had told Scott earlier that, like, hey, listen, you need to help me do this thing, or the entire world is going to be destroyed. Well, there's worse worse than me out there, and they're going to come. Right. Well, so so that's where we run into the question is, we get our bit at the end, a lot of the jokes from the first half, like the first, like, 10, 15 minutes are paid off in the second, five to ten minutes. We get that slow walk where Scott is thinking to himself, it's like, oh, did I just ruin everything? Like, eh, maybe I shouldn't think about it. It's just a weird world where this yeah. sort of stuff sort of happens, and we're just going to kind of deal with it, right? Uh, that And that made me laugh. That seems yeah. great. The mirror to the front and the mirror to the end, like it's poetry because it rhymes. The, the over-the-top music cues and then just Scott, Scott. And he's like, oh, well, I'm not going to dwell. I'm with you. That's great. Right. Um, so then we got our mid credit sequence where the council of Kangs are shown. 
where we get like a more futuristic looking Kang. We get a Rama Tut looking Kang. We get an Immortus looking Kang. And they're all like, well, it didn't work. We tried to get the bad one, the worst of us all, out of here, and it didn't work. And by them doing this, it's messing up the multiverse. Well, we're gonna have to stop them. There's only way to. There's only one way to stop them, and that's Joe's dream: more Kangs. And they show like this entire arena just full of every Kang imaginable. Right. Okay. And, and I and I went with my son, and I said, "Pinch me, cause I'm dreaming. <laughs> it's all the Kangs in the world." I'll tell you off mic what I said to the person watching the movie with me oh, after no. it was over um, about y- uh, you and the Kang scenes. Um, but that's one of my biggest nitpicks is, and that's fine. There's multiple Kangs, but when everybody's a Kang, nobody's a Kang and I don't care. Um, like, cause I'm really worried at like multiverse. They did it with the flash TV shows and stuff like that, where it was like, Hey, we're on our seventh wells. And I was like, well, if you're just going to replace it with a different wells every year, like killing someone means nothing. If that makes sense, there's no emotion in killing someone. If you're just going to bring in a variant and the fact that the, the, the main Kang, the evilest Kang, is he dead or is he just, in like shrunk down in the 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 the, the thing that he, that they pin particled, or is it going to be one of these other Kangs? Or should I care about any of these Kangs? Do any of the Kangs matter? Because you're just going to kill one off and move on to the next one. I that's the thing that I truly worry about the Marvel Cinematic Universe from here on out. That death means nothing and everything is a variant or whatever. You, do you know what I mean? I do know what you mean, but I will say this. They tried in this movie to establish the, you know, let's say Kang Prime, right? The Mm -hmm. one who's on the poster, okay? We get our Ramatut Kang, unnamed. We get our super futuristic Kang, unnamed. We get our Immortus Kang, okay? Mm -hmm. Then all these other Kangs are more than likely going to be cannon fodder, right? Right. And that's okay, as long as they do a good job of building up. They've already built up one. Let's build up two, maybe three, maybe 20 more Kangs that we could care about. Um, I care about them all. And I know know you said, I have a different saying here. It's the family motto that says, when everyone's a Kang, everything is awesome. And then I sing a little (laughs) song every time I look at the family crest. And then we get a set. If we we don't have enough Kangs, we get a second credit scene. Right. Uh, It's old timey. Let's say the 20s, maybe. Mm-hmm. You know, back when Grandpa Simpson was selling his uh, snake oil. Yep, and had um, an onion on his belt because it was right? his style at the time. And there's an old, there's a man who's given a talk about how time is not what it seems. And there's a, there's a man in the audience who sees this. And that man is Loki. And the man on the stage giving the speech is Victor Timely, who is also Kang. I don't like his first name. No? That's for another guy. Listen, uh, you know, you could change his name. You can call him Billy Von Doom. How about Billy? Billy's oh, a good name. Stop it. <laughs> but yeah, and I, I don't know. Like that kind of, I was like, okay, because last we left, because wasn't uh, Owen Wilson there too? Yeah. And last we saw, he was brainwashed. I don't know. It's just like feel lost at this point. It's been a while since I watched the low-key series, but this is a way to bridge 
right. you to watch the next Loki series so you could find out where the next wacky adventures of Kang are taking place. Right. What iteration of Kang is next? Monkey Kang? Is there, you know, head in a jar Kang? I hope they're all there. Modoc Kang, Spider oh. Kang, Hawkeye Kang. Just take all my favorite Marvel characters and make them Kangs. Right. And then Victor comes in and the real one true Victor comes in and squashes them all. Not before Arcade lights a match off him just to (laughs) show him who's boss. Um, But like I said, I I like this movie a bunch. You know, I was selling it to my wife. Like, I would absolutely go see this movie again because I had a lot of fun with it. I'm going to nitpick it. Nothing's perfect. Um, You know, uh, it's... You know, like I said, the, my nitpicks are so s- specific to me, like you regular people wouldn't even notice them, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, us regular people. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I say go see uh, Ant-Man 3. It was a, fu- it was a fun romp. Um, there's nothing else really major coming out in the theaters, at least. I know we're like a week away from uh, the next season of Mandalorian. Um, but like, we're good for like another month almost until Shazam two comes out, you know? Right. I, yeah, a month, a month or so for Shazam two that I probably won't go see. Did you see Well, we talked about this? You saw the first Shazam, right? Yeah. And I thought it was only okay. Yeah. See, I thought it was only okay too. And then I saw it a second time at the drive-in and I liked it a lot more the second time. Right. Right. Uh, I just hope they don't shoehorn the rock into it, you know? I have a feeling that well, you know what they if they did they they'll cut him out. You know what I mean? Well, no, I I know he actually turned. They wanted him to do a cameo in the movie, and he turned it down. Oh, okay, because I, I know they did a lot of that with like the new Flash movie. They did they cut some cameos, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they cut some cameos, but they left the star in, huh? That is true. That's an interesting strategy. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Um. So hey. Uh. Oh, sorry. They let the star in because I hear they can't let the star out. If you know mm. what I mean. Anyway, all right. I think that's enough show. Yep. Um. So this was episode six forty six of Longbox Heroes. For Todd, this is Joe saying thanks for listening, and we'll see y'all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain. You're listening to the soon-to-be-named network, the Lamborghini of Podcast Networks. The Rob is a long box hero. The Rob is a long box hero. He gives us five five stars.